The title of this seminar is Ordinary Parents, Extraordinary Father. My name is Leon Yuan. I am Angela Yuan. Thank you for spending the next hour with us. <laughs> when our sons were young, every summer we attend a Christian family camp, even though we are not Christian at that time. And I remember the camp organizer, Mrs. Young, was an older Christian lady. And one day she said to me, she said, Angela, all these kids could grow up and turn rebellious, but not yours. I could not disagree because our son was three A students at school and state champion in gymnastic and also took first place in state piano competition. So as a young mother, when I heard this, it made me more proud. It confirmed that I believe, what I believe, that I really was an extraordinary mother. <laughs> Who would have ever thought that both of our son, one after the other, would rebel after entering college? So most of us know or have known a prodigal in your life but most certainly, we all were once a prodigal ourselves. But no one feels the pain more than the parents of a prodigal. And I know this because Leon and I have been through and through and survived the years of waiting our prodigal to come home. So what do we do when our prodigal broke our hearts and kept breaking our hearts. And what helped us get through those difficult years? And what helped bring our prodigal to God, our Heavenly Father? So this morning, Leon and I would like to uh, share with you for, uh, what the lessons God has taught us through those difficult years. And, uh, when, where our prodigal was in a far country. When we first found out our child turned rebellious, like most of the parents, we are completely lost. We have no clue what to do. So that how shall we react then as a Christian parent? First and foremost, from our own experience, we have learned we must do paradigm shift. Changing our attitude, changing our thinking mostly, changing our heart. During those years, we have learned four paradigm shift. The first one is, I am not the cause. We need to understand that, like as parents, we are not the main cause that our children turn rebellious. Even though parents do have influence for our children, but we are not the main cause for their sinful behaviors. Many of us carry or deal with a lot of guilt. And uh, so we start to blame ourselves. Mostly we blame our spouse. <laughs> and then, and worst of all, that 
many people in the church judging the parents of the prodigal as if we have failed on our children. However, be encouraged. Even perfect parents do have children who rebel. Just look at Adam and Eve. They have a perfect father living in a perfect environment. God only gave them one command, do not eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But sometime later, God find out that they have an apple break. <laughs> so God said to Adam, didn't I tell you not to eat the fruit? <laughs> so why did you? He pointed the finger at God. The woman you gave to me, she started. No, I did not. Yes, you did. <laughs> no, not me. Having had enough of them, so God taught them a lesson. Led them to have children of their own. <laughs> That's why the pattern has set and never changed. If Adam and Eve can have a um, give God a hard time. How can we as ordinary parents thinking it's a piece of cake to raise our children? And uh, even perfect father, like Adam, Eve, they have perfect father, raised them a perfect environment, but they still rebel, they still sin. Certainly as parents, we do have room for improvement but we cannot undo the past. Paul said in Philippians 3.13, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and strengthening toward what is ahead. We shall all equip with that attitude. Second, I am not the cure. We as parents are not able to change our children. Before I was a Christian, I was always confident and proud that I was able to accomplish what I put my heart to. So if I just try hard enough, I could get my own way. If, I, if there was a problem, I could find the answer. So this attitude and mindset apply even more to my children when it uh, was my son, especially Christopher. So when Christopher told us he was gay, I was going to fix my son and solve his uh, problem. I thought I could control the situation and I could prevent or change my son from being gay. So I give him an ultimatum. I said, you must either choose the family or choose homosexuality. But to my dismay and shock, Christopher didn't choose the family. And instead, he picked up his bags and left. I was devastated. And in addition to my broken marriage, I was crushed. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, we all read the product, the Jesus said the prodigal of son's parable. The father of the prodigal did not pursue his son into the far country. 
He did not try to change his son. He did not disown his son. He did not show and welcome his son to home. He didn't say, I told you so. And the father of the prodigal show that only God can change his son. So he waited, he allowed God to do the work. He waited patiently and persistently. Most important, his son must face the consequence of his own actions and go to the rock bottom. If we continue to try to interfere or try to change our children, they will most often despise or resent us. And worst of all, God may not be able to use the consequence to change our children, to turn them around. We all have to learn from this father of the prodigal and accept the fact that we are not the cure and that we cannot change our children and bring them back out of a far country. Third, our children are not my own. Before I was a Christian, this was very difficult for me because my children had become the most important part of my life. And I did everything for them. And my life revolved around my children. So in reality, my children were my prize and possession. In other words, they had become my idol. So after understood who God is and surrender my life to Christ, I realized that everything I have or we have belongs to God, including our children. And we are stewards of uh, what God has given to us. And God has allowed us to bear and raise our children who ultimately belong to God. So if this means that our children are not my own, and we must release our children to God and surrender to God's plan for our children. Many of us know the story of Abraham and his son Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. God told Abraham to take his son and only son uh, Isaac and go to the mountain of Maria and where Abraham supposed to sacrifice and uh, uh, sacrifice Isaac there. And God wants to test it, Abraham, because like most parents, we love our children so dearly. And uh, sometimes it may become, our children may become an idol and get into the relationship with our relationship with God. So are we willing to put our children on the altar? Are we able to do that? Even though it is very, very hard, but we must do it. We cannot lay our Isaac down on the altar when the problems start and take them down. So Jesus um, even said in Matthew 10, 37, anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. After many years of rebelling and re running away from God and from his parents, 
Christopher was in the far country of Atlanta and was arrested for drug dealing. Christopher found himself in jail. But back at home, Leon and I were pursuing an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, and we are growing in the law. So while I studied the, uh, the Bible of Genesis at BSF, and I learned that we need to be like Abraham, to let our son go and release him to God. Although difficult, I had to lay my son and my Isaac down on the altar. So on the day Christopher was sentenced, Leon and I flew to Atlanta, and I testified in court and told the federal judge in front of Christopher, and I said, Your Honor, we are not here to plead for a, long, for a shorter sentence for our son, but we are here to ask that our son's time in prison will be just long enough for him to turn his life to God and no more. So you see, when I say this, actually I was pleading and praying and speaking to God boldly in front of the judge and in front of our son. So we need to communicate clearly to our children that our main goal is not to point them to success in the world or even turn from their rebelling and their sin. But our main goal is to point them to a life that's fully surrendered to God. Fourth, love is not enabling. Love is not enabling. Many com parents consider helping our children to avoid the painful consequence as an act of love. Let me repeat that one. Many parents consider helping our children to avoid facing the painful consequence of their action as an act of love. Unfortunately, some of these parents may find out later that the outcome could be worse. So what is enabling? Enabling is doing something with the intention to help or to protect our children, but it really actually perpetuates the problem. So here are some examples of enabling our young children. For instance, defending our child when the teacher tells us about our child's inexcusable misbehavior in class, and believing rather than the other children are at fault, and our child is being wrongly accused. Also making excuses or blaming the teacher for our child's poor grades, or finishing our child's homework, or calling in sick for our child when he or she had not finished the schoolwork. So some other examples I'm going to give was enabling our adult children. For instance, continually rebelling our child from jail and paying for their living expenses or giving them an allowance when they were disrespectful uh, of 
us and disregard the clear boundaries and home uh, and house rules. So, or we still allow them to use our the car and computer we bought, or continue to pay our child's college tuition when they show no respect to us or to God. So the result of enabling is that our children do not learn to take responsibility and face the consequences of their rebelling behavior, or do not become aware of their own behavior when the need or the need to change. So enabling actually makes the situation worse, not better. In reality, what we are doing is hurting our children, not helping nor protecting them. And simply put, enabling often pushes our children further away from God. In the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 13 recorded a tragedy happened in King David's household. Uh, his son, Amnon, raped his half-sister, Tamar. Later, Tamar's brother, Absalom, take the revenge himself and murder his half-brother. Even though Amnon was guilty, but Absalom does not have the right to murder his half-brother, so he fleed. So what did their father, King David, did? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Just like the parents today, he is afraid to confront his son face to face with his action with his son. Even though King David allowed Absalom to return to Jerusalem later, but he refused to talk to him, to see him. That is uh, enabling because he did not give, uh, allow his son to experience the consequence of his grave action. This is enabling. We today may say our children is not that bad. They are not murderers. But we must understand that sin is sin. The consequence of sin is we have, they have to learn how to face that. No matter how big or how small the sin, sin is sin. If our children do not learn that early in life at home, they will most likely face many, many problems later in life. Christopher was busy going to clubs and doing drugs and flying from city to city selling drugs. So not showing up in the school clinic with, the, with his patient in the morning became a norm. Therefore, three months before receiving his doctorate, he got the notice of expulsion from the dental school. So my motherly instinct as a tiger mom would have, would have wanted to do whatever it took to keep him in school so he can graduate in three months. Especially he had already passed the national board exam. And besides, becoming a doctor and following his dad's footsteps was our plan for Christopher's future. 
and uh, so in addition, how shameful it will be when I, uh, when our friends or relatives find out that our son was uh, expelled from the dental school. So Leon and I decided to flew down to Louisville to meet with the dean. Christopher was confident, of course, we were, we were going to threaten the school with a lawsuit because he was going to graduate in, in three months so that he, you know, he can continue his career. This was what I would have done if I had not fervently prayed and fast to seek out God's will because I knew God's will and his plan were greater than mine. And I needed to let go and let God. And I did not want to hinder what God might do in Christopher's life. So in the dean's office, I told the dean, it is not important that Christopher becomes a dentist. What's more important is that Christopher becomes a Christ follower. So Leon and I had to surrender to God's plan by not enabling our son, but allowing God to use consequences to turn his life around. If I try to fix the situation and avoid Christopher to face or experience the consequences of his bad choices, I would be getting in God's way. Have we thought about the uh, deeper problems of our children's rebellion? The deeper problem rests on our willingness to completely surrender to Jesus Christ and fully submit to God's wills, God's authority. Let me repeat this important. Rebellion is someone who refuses to completely surrender to Jesus Christ and fully submit to God's authority, but instead giving in to the temptation of the flesh. Our experience helps us to understand that our children's deeper problem is not their behaviors such as bad grade, drinking, sex, etc. Those are only the symptoms of a deeper problem the real problem is our children's unwillingness to completely surrender or submit to God's authority. But honestly, is that all our problems? I think that we, have, we as parents, there's no difference from what they have done. So what the parents, so what the parents should do the answer is that we should reflect Jesus in our daily life. We should reflect Jesus in day, our daily life. Even though, as we mentioned, parents are not the main cause of children walk away from God, nor can we cure our children's rebellion, but we still hope to have influence uh, godly influence, even if our children are in the far, far country. Besides, we have learned the goal of a Christian parents is not to produce godly children. Let me repeat. 
The goal of a God, Christian parents is not to produce a godly children. The goal of a Christian parents is to be a godly parents because perfect parenting does not guarantee perfect children. First, do we reflect Jesus through our own brokenness? We must understand that we are just as capable to sing as our children. And our own sing is not any better or worse than our children sing. And our sing may seem insignificant or harmless, whether it is pride, jealousy, gossip, slander, envy, greed, complacency, or idolizing our jobs our children, bank accounts, sports, television, uh, computer game, pets, and so on. But they are just as odious in God's eyes. So if we realizing our own brokenness in front of God will lead us to a place of humility. So when we as parents able to say, I am sorry to our children and exhibit the ultimate humility in pleasing God. It, that's a, a teachable heart. It desires to make things right. So then we will watch our family change. And we, of course, we do not certainly become perfect parents or a perfect family, but our children will experience their parents being real with them with a deeper relationship. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus told us the parable of uh, a Pharisee and tax collector. Both of them went up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee prays, said, Lord, thank you that I'm not like those uh, idolaters, evildoers, and the robbers, or even like this tax collector. We as the parents, we can add, we are not as bad as our uh, rebellious children. And uh, unfortunately, many of the parents, we are not, we are almost like that, those Pharisees and cannot see our own pride or self-righteousness. Because in Psalm 51, 17 state that God does not despise a broken and contract heart. Isaiah 42, chapter 3 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering rack he will not sniff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth with justice. I am ex convinced by our own experience that God listened more intently to those parents who are broken and who are contract. God convicted me of my own sins in many different areas through Christopher's rebellion. Then I realized that Christopher's sin was not any worse than my own. So if we want our children to humble themselves before God, is humility evident in our own life? If we want our children to change, has there been change in our own life? 
second, do we reflect Jesus through our daily devotion? So I come up with seven questions. First one, can my children see Christ in my daily life? Can my children see Christ in my daily life? Well, I prepared for this a long time ago. I thought, God, uh, let me teach others. But as I see this one, and if God gave me a grade, I may have a fail grade instead of C or D or something. So can my children see Christ in my daily life? Are they able to tell my testimony? Second, is my relationship with God vibrant and real? Third, am I a new creation and, and continue to change day by day? I really shouldn't be the same as I was 10 years ago, 10 months ago, or 10 weeks ago. Fourth one, do my children see without a doubt that I love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. Fifth, do my children know that I pray and study the Bible and live out the Bible when others are not watching? Sixth, do I show excitement when I talk about God? When I talk, uh, yes. Seventh, when, I, when was the last time my children see my show a gospel or share the gospel with somebody else. So we shouldn't be a Sunday-only Christian, and uh, our faith should impact every day of our life. If we want our children to take their faith seriously, it must begin with us. So study the Bible. Praying and fasting should become part of our daily life when God is the center or master of our household. We should take heed of Joshua saying, in my house, we will serve the Lord. This should be a joy and a, a, a desire. We shouldn't it should be a force, a chore. We should pray for our children, pray with our children, pray over our children. Our relationship with Christ would never be any greater than our relationship God's Word. And our mind needs to be uh, renewed every morning. And this was what uh, BSF, Bible Study Fellowship, helped us. And we had daily passages from the Bible to study, scripture to meditate, and most importantly, to challenge us to live out God's word in our lives. So I did this as part of my daily morning devotion. Not only did it keep me focused on God's attributes and promises, but it also helped me keeping my faith vibrant and alive. And during those difficult years, I began to fast uh, in obedience to God with uh, hunger and to seek his face and hear his voice every Monday morning. 
uh, I mean Monday. So by the grace of God, once I did fast uh, 39 days in uh, interceding for Christopher, my son, and many others. So for me, fasting is naturally flow out of a consistent prayer life. A consistent prayer life is naturally flow out of personal revival. And personal revival is naturally flow out of daily devotion. And daily devotion is naturally flow out of loving God and being immersed in God's Word. So as a result of my personal revival through vibrant devotion to God, our son Christopher certainly noticed the difference in his parents. Then I realized that we parents had become a living Bible for our son and a light to shine into Christopher's dark world. Number three, do we reflect Jesus through our marriage? A marriage based on biblical principles reflect the perfect love Jesus showed for his bride, the church. Our home should be a haven, a safe place to dispense God's love for our children who want to come home. Do our children see home as a haven? Do they want to come home or do they run, want to run away from home? I wish I learned this or pay more attention when we, I first get married, when we first have our children. For most of us, we spend more time arguing or pick on our spouse rather than showing each other love, honor, and respect. If we do not show honor, love, and respect to our spouse in front of our children, why shall we expect them to love, honor, and respect us? And uh, when I grow up, I seldom to see Chinese parents to say I love you to his spouse. But they, our children do need to hear this. The more we express love to our spouse, the more our children will see home as a haven. Many young adults uh, told us that they grow up with very little or no relationship with their father. Some of those fathers are distant and disconnected with their children, leaving their childbearing responsibility to their spouse. But while I studied, prepared for this uh, workshop, I found out in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse seven, God commanded the father to teach their children two things. One, to fear the Lord. Second, to live according to God's, uh, God's uh, way. It is the father's job also, not only the mother's job. As prepared for this talk, I learned that 
what one of the wisdom I learned is that God gave the father the responsibility to teach the children to fear the Lord and to live according to God's ways. Therefore, sometimes when I do something, I have to think about does my children see that my action shows that I fear the Lord? Or do my action shows that I am doing according to God's ways? Without a father's godly influence, some of those children are very susceptible to lead astray and fall into the temptation of drugs, alcohol, and sex to fill their emotional vacuum. Or, worst of all, they will simply walk away from God. Therefore, we as a father must understand our children's need to stay in the uh, protection of God and Jesus Christ. Also very important, we demonstrate that our love to spouse is very important. I think that is the best gift a father can give to any children. That our children will appreciate most is in the long run is that, that we express love to our spouse. It will make a life difference for our wife and children. The, the love that we demonstrate we have for our spouse should not depending upon what we feel or how we have been treated. It must be depending on the covenant we made before God and commitment we made long time ago in our wedding days. And, uh, Paul told us in the first, in the uh, first Corinthians chapter three, the love chapter, we all know the love is patient, love is kind, love is envy, and is not envy, etc., etc., and love never fails. This, all those describe how we love our spouse. Most of us didn't realize that it is the love, honor, and respect we show to our spouse not only provides security for our children, but also give them the example how they show, should love, honor, and respect us in our old age. Fourth, do we reflect Jesus through our grateful heart? And we must give thanks in all circumstances, as 1 Thessalonians 5.18 tells us. So we are not just for the good times when we give thanks, but also through the difficult circumstances. So when, uh, when uh, Apostle Paul was in prison, he sent praises to the Lord because he's, he has his mindset and fixed on God and not on his circumstances. So when trial comes our way, look to God and focus on God's promises. On the mirror in my bathroom, and I post uh, the lyrics of this song, of this hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, 
look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Therefore, as I wake up every morning, I am reminded of where my focus must be today. It must be on Jesus. So December 8, 1998, I was just returning from Bible study BSF, and my heart was filled with joy after a morning of wonderful Bible teaching and fellowship. As I walk in the house, the phone rang. It was a collect call from the Atlanta City Detention Center. Christopher was arrested and found himself in jail. My heart sank and tears running down my cheek. But at that moment, the hymn we sang early in the morning came to my mind. Count your blessings and name them one by one. So I turned off a small piece of edging machine tape from the calculator next of the phone and wrote down these first blessings. Christopher is in a safe place and he called home for the very first time. I was convinced that I could always see God's blessings, even in the midst of trials. As Christopher's time in prison passed, I kept counting and adding to this blessings list. And this list not only remind me that he is faithful and his mercies are new every morning, but he also helped me remember not to focus on my hopelessness. Instead, I had to count God's blessings. So even in the midst of difficult circumstances, we could still have a grateful heart. So we would like to end with uh, this song, which helped us keeping things in perspective. And please carefully listen to its lyric. And I hope that it will encourage, but also challenge us. The storms of our lives may actually have blessings in disguise because our heavenly, extraordinary Father is always there, carry us, ordinary parents, through the valleys and storms of our lives. May this be our prayer.
That love is way too much to give us lesser things Cause what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if it doesn't sleep as night? So what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in God, creator of the heaven and earth, Abba Father, thank you for your unconditional love. This priceless love has thought us out and brought us to yours. May we, every person here, see beyond ourselves, but to you, our mighty wonderful God and the extraordinary Father. Our desire and our prayer is for our next generation to see Jesus, their compassion and truth for themselves through us. Love, have your way with our children. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, thank you.